Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode three of the Untethered Podcast. Hallie Balkin here, answering some questions that I get often. So today, what I want to do is I want to focus on what my experience has been as a mom of a child who had a tongue tie and what threw me into doing more for her. Um, I know that in our intro episode, I referenced the fact that she had a tongue tie. We released it when she was two. And, you know, there's been some ongoing um, things that we've been helping her with, but I want to be fully vulnerable and open with you all because I think that it's important to know where my passion comes from helping parents with children who have feeding issues, um, starting at birth and on through infancy and then up through, you know, (laughs) pediatrics into adulthood, even where I meet adults who tell me they can't eat certain foods. They can't chew them. They don't feel good. They don't taste good. Um, It's, you know, it's one of my passions to do this because I know that eating is a social thing. And if you go out to a restaurant and you have a hard time finding something on the menu, all food sensitivities and allergies and everything aside, it's just not fun. It's not fun to go out and eat with people when you don't want to eat anything on the menu. And, you know, I know for some parents having to carry food with you um, to a restaurant because you know your child's super picky and they're not going to eat what's on the menu, that's also very frustrating. I've had clients call me and say, I just don't want to carry peanut butter sandwiches in my purse anymore. Please, can you help us? And yes, yes, we absolutely can. So first, let's talk about my experience as a mom and like what threw me full throttle into this. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, If you've been to my website, you've probably seen that I started a blog series that I never finished. (laughs) Full disclosure. Um, And, you know, talking about my experience with Lily, with my firstborn, who will be four in August, and it's now July. So she's almost four years old. So, you know, from the day she was born, um, she was failure to thrive, according to the pediatrician. And let me tell you what kind of a a, a sucker punch that was to the gut when I read that on the app on my phone that that was a diagnostic code they had used. No one said it to my face, but when I opened up my that app and I saw failure to thrive, I was like, oh, oh no, like this is what I do for a living. This is this is not happening. Um, at that point in time, four years ago, I was I did not specialize in tethered oral tissues and diagnosing tongue tie or looking at the functional impacts of tongue tie. Um, I was doing feeding therapy, but mostly with the two plus crowd. So having a baby with a tongue tie was not something that I, one, knew to look for, or two, knew, you know, if I did see it, I wouldn't have known how to determine if it needed to be released or who to go to or whatever. Like I, I was starting at ground zero, you guys, even though I was a speech pathologist who did feeding therapy, I was starting at ground zero. This was not something that was taught to me. And since that time, I have done 
gosh, it was like <laughs> the past two years alone, I've done like 144 hours in continuing education courses. Um, I, I don't know what it is, honestly, going back four years. But I will tell you that in the past two years, I've just thrown myself into every training I can. I've gone to hear from every colleague and professional in this space and in related spaces because to me, it's helped me understand my child better and understand how to better help her. But it's also helped me grow as a clinician, as a therapist, and help my clients better. So, you know, let's let's talk about Lily because, like I said, she was my firstborn. I remember we were in the hospital, you know, born six pounds, six ounces. Everything was great. I think they had trouble um, with her newborn hearing test. And I was like, I'm a speech pathologist. Please just take her to, you know, they were like, we're going to have to take her to the the hearing, you know, the audiologist studio. And um, I'm sure I'm using the wrong terminology there because I'm not an audiologist. <laughs> but um, I was like, please go ahead. Just test her hearing. Make sure she hears properly, you know, out of both ears. And sure enough, she did. Um, but I should have known from day one that this child was just going to be, you know, a big learning experience for me. And gosh, I love her because she has taught me so much. And when you know better, you do better. So I'm trying to do right by her and do the best that I can for her. And it all started when that little six pound, six ounce baby dropped to five pounds, nine ounces before we left the hospital over the course of two days. And the pediatrician was like, you know, hey, you guys got to start coming in for weight checks, right? So that was the first issue. I was like, oh, okay. Well, instead of coming in, you know, a couple of days after you leave the hospital, here I am a new mom. I had, you know, my own complications afterwards. Everything was fine. But I was like, oh, I really don't feel like getting up and going to the pediatrician like the day after or the morning after I get home from the hospital. And here we were at the pediatrician's office doing weight checks. And, you know, she was still slow to gain. So they recommended supplementing. Now, did anybody look in her mouth, under her tongue? No. Did I call lactation in to help me when I was in the hospital? Absolutely. Did lactation step in at my peds office and help me when we were there day one, you know, as a new family? No, they did not. Um, it was offered to me. So, what I did decide to do was make an appointment with the, the lactation consultant. And at that time, you know, the lactation consultant helped me the best she could, but I kind of joked that it was like taking your car to the shop, right? You take it in, they can't find the issue, you leave, the issue starts again. It's exactly what happened with this little one. She, you know, and it's not that she couldn't nurse, but she had a what I now know was a really shallow latch. She was falling asleep because she was fatiguing. She was super uncomfortable because she was swallowing a ton of air. She didn't have projectile vomiting or any of those big reflux symptoms. However, the child would not sleep flat. She needed to be on an incline. And for me, you know, now that I look back at all of these symptoms, I'm like, woo, like, wow, does she have a tongue tie? Um, and she did. And we corrected it. But we'll get there. So... Fast forward a couple days, um, or not a couple days actually, I guess this was the first week home and either the first or second appointment, it's all blur now, um, four years ago, they wanted me to supplement with formula. And here I am kind of, this is like totally soul crushing to me as a mom because in my big plan of plans, and I'm a planner, you guys. I was going to feed this baby. I was going to breastfeed her and all was going to be good. and was going to be perfect. And, you know, okay, we'll work through a couple weeks of discomfort because that's what I hear is normal as a new mom, which I now learned is not. But here we are, middle of the night. I break out and I must have been like Similac. Like my, my pediatrician gave us some samples to use. And I break out Similac. I did not sleep that night. That baby sucked down the bottle, that little bottle, however many ounces of Similac it was, and I kid you not, we were both up crying all night long. She was miserable. 
And I, it was that point where I was like, "Mm -mm, nope, not doing that again. (laughs) Like neither of us slept. She's crying. Thankfully my mom was there and you know, I was able to kind of keep myself in check and together because my mom was there to help me. Um, but guys, I remember that night it was miserable. Like to watch your newborn cry, like she was in severe pain. And in my, my mind, I just decided, okay, we got to make this work because clearly giving her dairy based formula is not the answer. No child, nobody should react that way after having a bottle. And and I don't know to this day if it was dairy or if it was that she swallowed so much air while drinking the bottle or what the case may have been. Um, But basically when I called the pediatrician the next morning and I said, yeah, no, not giving them, not giving her that again. They said, well, Similac has three milk proteins and let's give you one that has like one milk protein. It'll be easier for her little body to digest. And so I said, okay, I mean, right? I'm not going to deprive my child of food. All, you know, as a mom, all we want to do is feed our baby. And when we can't do that, what do we feel like? We feel like total failures. This is like all this mom guilt starts creeping in. Like my one job is to keep this baby alive and healthy and happy. And while I'm trying to figure out, you know, when she should be sleeping and when she should be eating and how many times she should pee or poop in day. And I have to be, I have to take care of myself as I'm going through, you know, you know, recovery from birthing a baby and not sleeping well because, you know, babies don't sleep. Here I am trying to figure all this out and I'm up against a child who's having a reaction to everything I'm giving to her. And so after that, you know, we, we tried it. It was a little bit better. So then I was kind of convinced, okay, maybe it is a milk protein issue, but I was not about to go down this journey of giving this child formula and playing, you know, games of what works, what doesn't work. So I basically said, look, we're going to push forward with this nursing thing. I'm going to see what we can do. I will go to the lactation consultant. You know, I will cut dairy out of my diet, which I did. Um, later, I added it back in around six months. She's done fine and she eats dairy. Like, you know, it's going out of style these days, which is probably something we should look at because I'm sure that might be a cause of her eczema, but that's a whole different issue. Um, but anyways, I'm real, guys. I'm a real mom. I've been through this and she is my why. She is what threw me full throttle into this because when I learned that this was genetic and then I learned that I had a tongue tie, holy moly, you know, game changer, really. Um, so fast forward, you know, let's just jump ahead. This little one was probably two. I came back from taking my course, my intro to orofacial myology. Um, And the whole reason why I got into that, let me back up a little, was because I was sitting with a colleague. We were having coffee at a little cute cafe in Bethesda, Maryland. And she says to me, you know, I took this course. I don't really plan to like implement it full on in my practice, but let me tell you that I am taking bits and pieces of it and applying it to my practice. And it has changed how I approach therapy and treatment of ours and treatment of, you know, speech sound disorders and this, that, and the other shit. It's really changed my practice. And I'm like, well, what is this? You got to tell me more about it. And so then I started to see people who had this calm after their name is COM. And being a speech pathologist, I was thinking calm communication, like COM must be for communication. And I'm like, what is this calm? Like, what does a COM people have after their name? Lo and behold, it actually stood for certification in orofacial myology, which you get through the International Association of Orofacial Myology or the IAOM. And that's who certifies, that's a certifying body um, that I have my certification through now. But at the time it was, it was not something that as an everyday speech pathologist, even who was doing feeding that I was privy to, I had no idea that this thing even existed or what orofacial myology was. And that's funny to me because orofacial myology has been around for like at least a hundred years. This is not a new practice, even though people seem to be 
hearing about it more and more these days. Um, I think there is a movement of more people doing it and trying to bring it into their practice, but oral facial myology as a practice has been around for a very long time. So I digress. Anyways, back to my little one, Lily. So, right, I come back from this course, okay, four-day course, I do my intro course, and I decide I'm getting certified in this. I'm going to, I'm just going to go, I'm going to put my head down. Meanwhile, I was also pregnant. I had moved up my course because I found out I was pregnant with my second kiddo, and I was like, I got to take this course before I have a baby. I got to do my certification before I have a baby. Otherwise, who knows when I'll finish that up, and there's a timeline from when you take the course to when they ideally would like you to take the, the exam and then do the on-site evaluation, and so... Seven months, guys, I threw myself in full throttle and in seven months got that baby done. <laughs> but right, I'd say about three weeks before I popped the second baby out. Um, it was a, That was my motivation. Let's get this done so I can go maternity leave and take a little break. Um, and that's what I did. But knowing the information that I now knew, I came home, I looked under my daughter's tongue and I looked at her palate and sure enough, her tongue had a restriction that you could see anteriorly. It was visible. It wasn't just a posterior one that's hard to see. You could see how tight the tethered oral tissue was. That fascia under her tongue, you could see how tight it was. It was pulling the tongue down. And I was I was beside myself. I was like, this is why 13 months of breastfeeding was extremely painful and why my child was labeled failure to thrive and why she's never been high. Like she was close to, you know, the first to second to highest was fifth percentile even maybe to this day at four years of age almost percentile for weight like she's been a little teeny tiny peanut because of this and you know I have to wonder what her swallowing was like when she was in utero because now having all of the advancements we do they had me going to maternal fetal and they were monitoring her and, and towards the end of the pregnancy they said you know her um and they actually were monitoring me not her but my you know they said oh your uterus is a little heart-shaped and it was totally fine for both pregnancies but they wanted to make sure of that and so because of that they were also monitoring her and her development and they said you know her brain is taking all the nutrients this was like very close to the end of the pregnancy they said her brain is basically sucking up all those nutrients very little of the nutrients are making it to her belly and i you guys i'm not a doctor i don't know the medical significance of all this but they basically said you know if this continues we're going to monitor you for like the next week or two, we might consider inducing you early. And it never came to that. She was a full-term baby. But even in utero, I have to wonder if that tethered oral tissue after it formed, if that was impacting her swallowing in any way. Um, You know, I have videos, so maybe somebody can analyze them because I did going to maternal fetal, they took videos and I have them on my phone. And I actually, it's funny because I would usually eat a snack on the way there. And I know I'm totally off on a tangent right now, but bear with me. Um, I would eat a snack like on the way to the OB and and I would get there and they would always say like, did you just eat something? Cause she is super active. She is jumping around and my gosh, she's my active kid. So despite all this, that girl is active, but it also makes me curious to know about like airway, you know, maybe it's because she's not getting restful sleep and it's kind of making her hyperactive. Who knows? But again, I digress. Going back, it's really cool because I have videos where I can see her swallowing in utero um, on a sonogram and I have a video of it as a swallowing therapist, you know, a therapist who does swallowing and feeding therapy. Um, It's just pretty, pretty cool to see, but I would love to go back and like analyze that and see what we can pull from it, if anything. Um, Because these things do start in utero. And I think that's important for people to know. It's not something that you did or didn't do after birth. It's not, you know, it's genetic. 
first I took her to a local ENT and at the time, you know, they told me, well, she's not nursing, so we're not going to release her lip tie and her tongue tie because yes, there was a lip tie too and it's actually still there, um, but it doesn't seem to impact things. So we kind of left that in place at the moment. Um, I took her to a second provider who agreed that yes, we absolutely should release that tongue, it, you know, based on several functional other things going on. And, you know, she's got that typical profile. She had a um, class three anterior tie, according to the system that this oral surgeon was using. Um, she had high narrow palate. She has eczema and skin things going on. And she's got you know, she was not a kid who snores. She doesn't drool. She's got nice closed lips, but she's got massive tonsils. Um, another ENT told me, oh, I'm not impressed by those tonsils. They're pretty unimpressive. And I was like, I am pretty darn impressed by those, those tonsils. And I mean, I'm not an ENT. So, and of course, I don't want to put my child through a surgical procedure. Don't get me wrong here. I would love to avoid that. But it makes me concerned as somebody who looks at airways all the time, you know, from a myofunctional standpoint, I want to make sure she can breathe and I want to make sure she's getting restful sleep, you know. I have to think back to the fact that when she was an infant, she was a kiddo that could sleep anywhere. And to me at this point in life, that's a bit concerning. It was really nice when I wanted to go shopping and get things done as a new mom with an infant and I wasn't tied to being home all the time. But the fact that she could sleep for three hours straight in her car seat and not be woken up or jolted when I pulled her out of the car and moved her car seat into the stroller and, you know, noises and sounds and all kinds of things did not wake her. And, you know, then she, when she did move to a crib, she, um, we moved her from like, she was in a rock and play, which I now know is a big no, no, but she wouldn't, that baby would not sleep flat. Um, she would not sleep at all. She had to be on me, which was very concerning to me. I didn't want to like roll over on her. So I figured the next best, op- best option was a rock and play next to my bed. And that's where she slept. You guys, full disclosure, <laughs> I told you, I'm going to be very honest here. Um, she slept there for four and a half months. When we finally moved her into the crib, she slept in the crib with her tush up in the air. And I guess some people call that tripod sleeping where, you know, you think, oh, it's so cute. They're sleeping with their t- on their belly with their tush up in the air. I could flip her on her back. And two seconds later, she would flip herself right back over to her belly. So, you know, there was no keeping that child on her back. And I know the whole campaign with back is best is what they recommend these days. But what I've learned from colleagues is that some children will do that. They'll sleep on their belly because they might be trying to stabilize their airway and their tush is up in the air because it's a, they're trying to stabilize their airway. So <laughs> looking at all these pieces and how everything started to come together and um, what I know now, like I keep saying, you know, I have to think about how much her airway was impacted by this tie as an infant. And now I just wonder, you know, what damage was already done, but I try not to focus on that because, you know, as I tell all my clients, when you know better, you do better and you're doing the best you can do now. And the important thing is that, right, we pick up what we know now and we take this information and we move forward. And mom guilt is a real thing, but we have to be kind to ourselves because we don't know everything. And the best thing we can do is seek out those answers and collaborate with others and trust the professionals that we're taking our children to. So after we got Lily's tongue tie released and she became super good at drinking water out of a kitty cat bowl, we called it, because trying to get a two-year-old to not bite you while you stretch her, her uh, do the active wound care and keep that wound healing the right way, plus get her tongue moving around. Um, and I have to credit my, my colleague, Cheryl Schaefer, um, for that exercise, the kitty cat bowls, because that was just genius. And Lily loved being a kitty cat drinking out of a bowl to uh, get that tongue moving, at least to get some of you know the movement going on. Um, it was challenging. It was really challenging. And I almost wish that we had sutured her tongue so I didn't have to worry about, you know, 
keeping that wound healing, like I say, long and strong, or, you know, healing in that diamond shape and not closing back up, um, coming back together on the horizontal plane. So, you know, I just, uh, it was a learning experience for me as a mom. And then I, at the time, you know, because I was pregnant, I didn't really want to put myself through a procedure. So I waited until after pregnancy and after I delivered my second baby and, you know, at day five, we released her tongue and we'll talk about her next (laughs) in the next episode. Um, or maybe we'll just tag that onto this one. Basically I had my tongue tie released and I'll, I'll go into that another, at another time. Um, but you know, it's genetic, it is genetic and we've all had it. And You know, I now see a lot of issues as an adult that I would like to prevent for my children. So going back to Lily, who is the the focus of today's podcast, she um, is, like I said, she's going to be four soon. And we actually just took her to our holistic dentist, um, who's very airway centric. And we did her impressions for an ALF device and they did all the med- the pictures and they did the, um, the scan. And so I'm really excited to see what happens as a result of putting her into an ALF as a four-year-old, um, to see what kind of expansion we can give her my hopes as a mother. And I don't know from a medical side, and I'm not claiming these things will happen for you or for my own child, but my hopes in doing this is that we can expand her early on so that it opens her airway up. It improves, uh, you know, she already seems like a really great sleeper. She tends to sleep. Well, lately it's not been as much, (laughs) um, but she tends, she used to sleep, you know, 12 hours a night. Um, I will add, she stopped napping at 18 months. I don't really know what that was all about, but she would sleep 12 hours at night, pretty, pretty religiously, um, you know, consistently. And she, uh, now she sleeps about 10, 10 and a half hours a night, and still does not nap, but I don't know, like how restful of the sleep is she getting? I mean, she, we kind of joke, she's a mini me in a way because I was kind of hyperactive and a little off the wall and loud and busy. And, you know, that was, I always got S's in school for talking too much. And I, you know, I see myself in her when it comes to that. And I have to wonder again, how much of that is airway related and sleep related. And so if, you know, I love her for everything that she is and she's perfect in my eyes, but if there's something airway going on, I just, I want to get, I want to get that answered. You know, I want to fix that for her now and figure that out now. And so I'm excited to see what the expansion does. I am excited to see also if, this helps us to shrink her tonsils down, or if we can get those tonsils to be a bit smaller through, you know, several me, you know, several treatment methods um, without having to do a surgical procedure and remove the tonsils. I don't want to put her through a tonsillectomy by any means. You know, she currently does nasal breathe, thankfully, and she has a really great lingual range of motion. You know, she can suction her tongue for like two minutes because hi, she's the daughter of a a certified orofacial myologist, and that's what we do for fun in this house. Um, I don't know about you guys, but we walk around going, hey, look what I can do, and we suction our tongue. It's a true story. Um, so, you know, I can keep you guys posted as we go through this process and as we put her through expansion at a younger age, but they're, they're showing that you can do it younger and younger and that we're basically setting the kids up for more success by doing it younger. So I'm very hopeful. I'm excited. It'll be interesting to see, you know, compliance wise, how she does with this little, you know, light force wire in her mouth and, um, and we'll see what happens. She's my, she, to this day, her, you know, functional impairments as far as what's going on, you know, like I said, she's got that high vaulted palate. She's got a narrow palate. She also has, um, 
you know, I don't know if she has allergies, but she's definitely got some picky eating or selective eating, I should say. You know, uh, I feed my kids pretty healthy. They don't eat a ton of processed, processed foods. You know, I let them have a little here and there and we definitely eat sugar in this house. I won't say that, you know, by any means we're sugar-free and uh, super crunchy, but I feed them organic foods. I try to make sure we get a good balance of proteins and carbs and um, veggies and fruits and Um, My children both love fruit, but, you know, Lily's favorite greens, as we call them in our house, are broccoli, green beans. Um, Those are her two favorites. She'll even eat raw spinach. So I don't have a hard time getting healthy foods into her, per se. Proteins are a bit of a challenge, and I think that's because she has a really hard time chewing them, and I don't think they taste good um, where they're currently, you know, hitting her tongue. So I do feel like once we expand her palate, she's probably going to need some feeding therapy. Joke on me. (laughs) The mom who's the speech pathologist who decided to, you know, specialize in feeding therapy with little ones. Um, Of course, I'll have somebody else work with her on my team because... I'm not treating my own child, but (laughs) that's a whole different, a separate issue. Um, So, you know, we'll see what happens because she clearly has all of her primary teeth in and the goal is to expand now to make sure she's got room for all of her, you know, permanent teeth to come in once the time comes, but also to open that airway. That is my biggest goal for her right now is while expansion and, you know, teeth being able to have room to come in are super important. My goal is airway, 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 airway. I want the airway open. I want to know that she's breathing okay. I want to know that she's getting enough oxygen to her brain. I want to know that she's sleeping well. Um, And then everything else I feel like we can address after we know that the airway is in check and, you know, we've expanded her so that we've maximized her airway. That's really my my Lily. You know, her uh, tongue, she'll tell you, her tongue kind of sits down on the floor of her mouth. It does not sit up in her mouth. So she will be a candidate for that feeding therapy and myofunctional therapy. Um, But she can elevate her tongue now and she's got, she can click it, like I said, she can suction it. Um, She can move it all around. She can even make a skinny little tongue. And so um, in general, she's doing pretty well and she is definitely thriving, but there's things that we can improve to make her life easier because the last thing I want her to turn into is a, you know, a teen or an adult who's clenching to open the airway and developing TMD. D, which is a lot of people refer to as TMJ issues, you know, with your temporomandibular joint. I don't want her to have that. The TMD is temporomandibular dysfunction, if you're not familiar. Um, I don't want her to develop that. If I can prevent that now because I have issues and my husband's got, you know, some clenching and stuff, like we both are trying to stabilize our airways, you know, I, I would like to prevent that for her. So that's a little bit about my little Lily. Um, If you're a parent and you're listening to this, or you're even a therapist of a child who you're going, oh my gosh, I can so relate to this, reach out. I love to chat with you, help you. Even if you're not local to me, I will help you figure out who in your area you can go to. That is my passion. My job as a oral facial myologist and feeding specialist I believe is to serve others who have gone through this journey and to make sure that you get the answers that you need for your child so that we're not just putting band-aids on something over and over and over again, but rather we are figuring out a true, a real solution to the problem and getting it at the source so that your child can develop and lead a you know, a healthy, thriving life that, you know, we're not coming back 10 years from now and going, oh, I wish we had done this, you know, back when they were 
five or back when they were 10 or back when they were 15 or whatever. Um, so yes. And if you notice that you have these issues, cause that's very possible too. I'm happy to speak with you as well, because clearly I'm an adult who, um, I'm also going through adult expansion. And as that progresses, I'd be happy to chat more about that on a podcast episode. Um, but you know, we're, we're all patients over here in the Balkan household, as well as, you know, I do this for a living. So I've been on both sides of the table and I get it. And I know how, you know, how much goes into helping our kids and trying to set up the best life we can for them. So, um, you know, let me help you reach out. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd be happy to speak with you. And like I said, connect you with people in your area. I hope this helps. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. Chat with you guys soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can also also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.